You're listening to Rocks Across the Pond, the curling podcast that goes around the globe looking for the best stories in the world's coolest sport. We have curling news and views for everyone, whether you're playing in your Thursday league or following your favorite teams on tour. Now here are your hosts, Ryan McGee and our professor of Peel, Jonathan Havercroft. Unless you want you do it. You know what? You do it. You do it. Hey, everybody. It's Jonathan Havercroft from Rocks Across the Pond. Uh, and with me, as always, is my guest from Richmond, Virginia, Ryan McGee. I'm a guest now, huh? I guess you're my co-host. We're going to break down live results from the Euro B Pool LSD Session 6. So, Ryan, this is breaking news. At 235 centimeters cumulative is Belarus, but Russia drew 58.8. So Russia gets the hammer. What do you, what do you take away from that, Ryan? We have lost what little listeners we had. They're gone. They're never coming back. It's over. Are you saying we should focus on bigger events in the world of curling? I would rather you tell me about your plane trip to the United States, not even your trip to the United States, just the experience on the plane, than discuss the last stone draw rankings at the B pool at Euros. All right. I can answer that. Okay. <laughs> tell me about your, yeah. How was, how was your trip? How was flying internationally in the year of our Lord COVID-19? Uh. It is weird. So first of all, you've got to get tests. Mm -hmm. It's actually pretty easy to get a test in England. It is very, very hard to get a COVID test in the U.S. if you don't have health insurance. It's very, Jonathan, it's very hard to get a COVID test if you have health insurance. Yeah. So um, my friend who came with me, she was from Italy, and she actually needed a test to board her flight. I didn't because England's way of doing it is they test you upon re-entry. And then okay. if you're positive, you have to isolate. If you're negative, you're released. Um, but Italy, you have to test the board. Oh, man. The only place you could find a test was at the student health clinic at the at UMass campus because they do free tests for college oh, students. Yeah. And she sweet-talked them into letting her do one. They didn't care. So... But we went to like CVS, we went to Walgreens, we went to the urgent oh. care, and they're like, nope, nope, nope. Nope. So that part was weird. Um, part two that's very funny is you have to have all your documents to check in. And so checking in is like, and as you imagine, everyone on the flight has to show their documents, they got to get checked. So it's like a 90 minute check in process because mm-hmm. like people in front of you won't have their stuff together. Uh, but then when you get to the border, so I was already at the border. I thought they were going to check everything. The guys like just wave me on through. <laughs> so they don't care. The government, the government <laughs> border control doesn't care. The, they, make, they make the airlines do it. Thing number three, that's really weird. Both directions. Cause I'm, my university does not pay for fancy flighting. So I'm stuck in economy. So, uh, I was an economy, but both directions, like I had an entire row to myself and there was, we were back area was probably a quarter full, but business class and first class were completely packed. Huh. <laughs> so it was just like bizarro world. And then weird thing. Number four is I got a rental car and my rental car 
costs me more than my transatlantic flight ticket. So renting a car for five days Actually, right now costs more than flying from London to Boston. I do believe that because they're really short on rental cars. I'm surprised you got one. Uh, it was a hassle <laughs> anyway, but it's like anything in this world. You can get whatever you want as long as you're willing to pay the price, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how, how was Amherst, Massachusetts? I was not able to make it up for the Williams Amherst game. Were you able to make it to the Williams Amherst game? I did not. Um, I was at a reception at my conference. It was fun. Was, was the conference at uh, Amherst College or at uh, UMass? It was so, it's what's called the five college consortium, right? So for our listeners, there's a whole, there's like four liberal arts colleges and then UMass Amherst is like the big state school. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're actually a consortium where students can take classes at all the different little colleges there and the big university too. So oh, wow. it was physically at UMass Amherst because they've got the large area. They have like a giant auditorium and place for meals and they have a hotel. So Basically, everything was there, but it was co-hosted by the consortium. Okay. I, I stayed in a comfort inn. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> exciting. <laughs> in, case you're, in case you were wondering uh, if, if professors are rich, there's your answer. They're not. We fly economy <laughs> and we stay at the comfort inn. <laughs> the moral of the story is drop out of school early. <laughs> I mean, that's, the world is run by C students. Exactly. Um, have you been able to watch any curling? Um, a bit. So uh, we could talk about because this kind of builds on our last episode where Ryan spent an hour ranting about streaming options. And uh, yeah, go listen to go listen to that one. It was fun. I got to actually talk about one of the things I'm passionate about other than curling. So, and then, <laughs> and then we also, the other, uh, actually it was, I got to rant about the other, the only other thing that I am passionate about in this world, Virginia tech football. I got to do that when we did our show with, uh, Sean and Scott Graham of game of stones, go check out their podcast. We did a show with them where we previewed the euros and the Canadian, Olympic trials and made our picks for those as part of our annual bad beer bet with Sean and Scott. So whoever has the worst picks in those two events has to drink the beer of the other podcasts choosing. So go check out Sean and Scott at Game of Stones and then check out Game of Stones, their Facebook page. They're going to be doing what they call Zoom stacking every night uh, during the Canadian Olympic trials. And you might see Jonathan and I's beautiful faces a few times during that. Um, but yeah, that'll be, that'll be fun. And, uh, hopefully I'll actually be able to see some of the games because we have not had very good luck in the United States watching the Canadian Olympic trials so far. That's a, that's a definitely a talking point for us here today. So let's, let's start with that. So what's, what's your experience been? Well, the first game, I mean, we no, I never saw it. It sat there and said, your event is about to start for like two hours. I occasionally checked on it and then gave up. 
that was the first draw, which was a women's draw. And then the second draw, uh, which was the first draw for the men at the Canadian Olympic trials. I didn't watch because Virginia Tech was playing at the time, but I think that everyone, I think that it came through. And then this morning, we, re- we are recording this on Sunday, November 21st. Uh, this morning, I was able to see the second half of Homan versus McCarvel at the Canadian Olympic Trials, uh, the second draw on the women's side. Uh, after the the first half of the game was spent with that same, your event is about to begin um, screen. So not, uh, not, a, not a good start to the Olympic Trials for the folks at ESPN3. I don't, so... I've had, I connect, as we sometimes discuss, perhaps quasi-legally, but I, I could not get it last night either, and I just assumed it was something with the, the software I use. No, it was all ESPN3. Like, something didn't connect. Some, I don't, I, I know a bit about actual broadcasting. I don't know a ton about connecting it to a stream to make it available online. Something was not encoded correctly or something was not sent to ESPN correctly or ESPN didn't push a button on their end to take in the stream from TSN in Canada, but something got mixed up, but I was able to watch all sorts of small college football last night, but I was not able to watch Canadian Olympic trials. Well, it's too bad. Um, I guarantee you one thing, if that had been an ESPN plus feed, they would have made sure that it was, that it was coming through. So, uh, for the, for the Canadian Olympic trials, just like for the Briar and the Scotties, this is on ESPN three, which is free. As long as you sign in with your cable streaming satellite provider, sometimes just your internet provider. I know I have Comcast for internet. I do not have Comcast for cable. But by signing in with my internet subscription, I am able to get games that are streamed on ESPN3 for free. Um, ESPN Plus is an additional subscription. It's $6.99 a month. Uh, It has a lot of soccer. It has a lot of small college sports. Um, It's also where you can uh, see a lot of UFC fights. Um, But that's an additional subscription. The Canadian trials are not on ESPN Plus. They're part of ESPN3. So as long as you sign in with whoever your provider is, you should have access to those games. Yeah. But if I was paying $6.99 a month for it, they probably would have cared a whole lot more about uh, making sure that I got to see those games. Yeah. So, yeah, that's not too good. And I've seen on social media, uh, (laughs) at least U.S. curling social media, which admittedly is a small group. Probably not ESPN's biggest slice of its market, but no, <laughs> there's a bit of anger there for sure. I've heard I've heard the numbers aren't great from people I know who work at the Four Letter Network. The curling numbers aren't great. Correct. Well, it, it's probably in the hundreds, I imagine, if that. Yeah. Uh, so. What about the other kind of little wrinkle is the WCF has moved away from YouTube to recast its own app. So here's my question is, no, it is not their own app. It is, it's one, one, it's not an app. So let's not call it an app. It's a website. Two, it's not owned by the WCF. It's a third party deal. Um, 
so my question is it based off of the based off the press release that the World Curling Federation sent out when they announced this partnership, it sounded like this was kind of like a trial thing just for the Euros and it it may be for more events later down the line, but basically they're doing this so that they can kind of fund hopefully future broadcast, which to me hopefully means that someday in the future we would be able to see streams for like the world wheelchair or the world mixed. That's what my takeaway was from, from that press release. What was yours? Yeah, I think they're looking for something. Um, I don't, mm-hmm. they, they, are they obviously, there are big enough stream that they must get some ad revenue from YouTube. So, but I'm not sure how much it is. And I think well, there's the, a big question about copyright there too, right? Like what is. Well, the YouTube isn't, the YouTube stream, they're not getting any money off of that. What's funding that is the rights holders. Hmm. And so that's why you have with the Euros and I mean, the, the, Pacific Asia Curling Championships, which finished up a couple of weeks ago, were not even on the WCF YouTube channel. They were on the the Kazakhstan Curling Federation's YouTube channel. And it's because the rights holders are kind of what pays the bills for that and lets us get those available on YouTube, provided that your nation's rights holder is not showing that game. Yeah. So... So I imagine the rights for the Euros aren't great. I know you said Eurosport shows a decent number of games, but not not this year that I can see, yeah. to be honest. So I don't know what's happened there. Maybe they've they've lost the rights. I've, I'll have to go check. I haven't really. I, also, Eurosport I, Eurosport doesn't really exist anymore. They've been folded in with um, with Discovery, uh, which is really invested heavily in olympic sport streaming in europe so it's kind of uh it's now kind of branded as discovery sports and it's part of the discovery network of of channels in fact last year the world's in several countries in europe world curling championships were available on discovery plus yeah so i don't i'm not quite sure at the moment like here it's just random where curling pops up and I don't get much notice for it. And I usually pick it up from social media. So it's usually, if it's a British curling thing, sometimes it'll pop up on BBC. They've got their own streaming thing called the iPlayer. And that, that plays a lot of, um, you know, like like more less mainstream sports, let's put it that way. Um, and then Eurosport I get. But it, as you said, it's kind of a weird... Right now, it's a very weird thing. Um, so during the Summer Olympics, because Eurosport was the primary rights holder, it expanded to nine channels. And they would have a different channel basically for each discipline at the Olympics. So you have an athletics channel, pentathlon channel, modern mm-hmm. pentathlon, horse. They'd have a horse channel if you're into dressage. I know I know Ryan's a big dressage fan. Love and, it. uh you know, so you could watch whatever you wanted. So I'm hoping that comes back for the Winter Olympics, so I can just stay glued to the curling channel and then just watch that 24 um, seven. But yeah, it's I think it's a weird weird space right now for for curling viewing. In some ways, it's easier than it's ever been. In other ways, it's it's a bit of a pain. Yeah, you have to you have to know where to look. You have to be 
willing to go find it in a lot of cases as it was with recast app but there's a lot of games at euros so here in the u.s there's a decent number of games being shown on the olympics uh, on olympics.com or the olympics app and it's not on olympic channel it's not on nbc sports network it's just available streaming only um in the Olympics.com and the Olympics app work so much better than the old Olympic channel app that I had to deal with whenever I tried to watch world. So <laughs> I am happy about that. That experience has been a lot, a lot more pleasant than it was previously. Uh, and then the other games are available on this, this recast website, which I was very skeptical about. I, watched some of that um that kind of quasi slam that British curling put on a couple of months ago that they showed on recast and it it wasn't great and it wasn't worth my time to sit there and try to get enough credits to watch those games so what's interesting about this recast website is each game is worth a certain number of credits. And for the Euros, each game is you, you have to spend 50 credits to watch a game on this recast website. There's a bunch of ways you can earn credits. You get 100 for signing up. You can watch ads that are worth anywhere between 10 and 50 credits to earn credits. So very quickly, I was able to watch enough ads to get me enough credits for an additional four games. Or you can earn credits by referring people through a link that you have to sign up for this website. Uh, someone used my referral link and I got six credits for it. So awesome. Um, nine more and I get another game, right? Um, or you can just straight up buy credits and buying it it's it's really cheap. It's one British pound for 100 credits, which is the equivalent of a dollar seventy Canadian and a dollar thirty four US. And that that dollar thirty four US gets you enough credits to watch two games. So mm. it's definitely at the microtransaction level. I would equate it to uh, like playing Farmville <laughs> back in the day. And I'm showing my age by bringing up Farmville, <laughs> where. Uh, you know, they get you in and then they kind of nickel and dime you until the next thing, you know, you've, you've spent a thousand dollars on Farmville. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, aside that, from the streaming, to me, that's right? kind of the future to me. That's kind of the future of probably what it's going to have to be for curling is they, they, they figure out the price point that gets the most people in that still makes them money. And in this case, you know, 67 cents American for a game. Yeah. A lot of curling fans are going to be willing to pay pay that, um, but the the gateway to entry is going to be understanding this credit system, actually signing up for a login, and then figuring out how to earn more credits or you know just tie your credit card to it to sit there and spend sixty seven cents sixty seven cents over and over again to watch a curling event. Yeah. It's a heck of a lot better system than it is for trying to watch the Grand Slams in the U.S., that's for sure, because I'm sure as heck not spending the amount of money that they are charging to watch the Grand Slams here. I've talked about this ad nauseum on this podcast, and I'm sure a lot of people are tired of, sick and tired of hearing me talk about it, but if you charged me just $2 per game 
rather than the amount of money that they charge. Sure, I'd watch GSOC games. I I think what's going to happen is, yeah, you'll have these pay per view. It's kind, it's it, to me, it's a little bit like how music was twenty years ago, where you could buy a song for ninety nine cents at the yeah. iTunes store, and then eventually it became a subscription. That and I, there's coming out of the pandemic, there's about four or five of these services that are. You know, every there's like the stadium one that Jerry Gertz is doing. There's curling.com, mm-hmm. which seems tied to Stu Cells. I don't know who owns mm-hmm. what. Got this recast thing. British Curling's doing its thing. Um, I My hunch is that you'll see a consolidation pretty quickly. And then you'll move from pay-per-view to like subscription. Yep. Well, right? for, and yeah, that would be... Yeah, I mean, I pay... $7 a month for ESPN plus so I can watch um, colleges that you've never heard of play football and to watch the Bundesliga. So, I mean, I'd, I'd probably pay four or $5 a month for something like that. Definitely. No, you pay. I pay five bucks a season, but I'm cheap. So <laughs> I actually think most curlers are cheap too. So anyway, well, it also, it also depends on what events are being shown, right? Yeah. I'm not, I, I don't know how, I, like you and I are pretty deep in the, the curling fandom world. Like I'll, I'll yeah. pay for, uh, slams, season of champions, WCF events. No problem. I am not paying for the Penticton toaster spiel. Like if that's up on YouTube and there's an interesting team, I may watch for the lulls, but I expect the number of people that are going to pay to watch that is pretty small. But would you pay a quarter to watch a game you were interested in at the Penticton Toaster Spiel? Yes, I. W- I mean, if it, it's, there's like some, there, there are YouTube some funny ones, and I would totally. I mean, and it would may not even be like a big name thing. Like if it, if it was you and Mark playing in an arena event, and it was like you know it's Saturday afternoon, nothing else is going on for the lols. I would watch your game. I pay twenty five cents to right. to watch your game, right? I, I actually think there's a weird micro economy there. Once uh, yeah. once stuff set up, that maybe you maybe ten of your friends would pay twenty five cents, fifty cents a pop to watch the game, right? Which is fine. Well, and the money to be made on it would be in Canada. Yeah, I mean, even the, the junior bees, right? Every year, my text messages are blowing up from like you know the the parents and friends. So maybe ten people care about that game. And if there was a way to watch a live stream, people would watch that live stream, right? But, um, you know, not a lot of people, but, yeah. you know, probably you our team has 10 out. and the other team probably has 10. So that's 20 viewers there. You just got to figure out um, how to price it because honestly, you would charge more to watch kind of a regular season world curling tour or... Uh, What's the what's the major league curling? Is that the one that they're getting off the ground? World curling tour or major league curling event? You would you would honestly you would charge more in Canada for that than you would in the U.S. Yeah, I yeah, for sure. I think Ryan, as as boring as the LSDs at the Euro Beepool is, uh, we might be losing a lot of listeners by going too deep into the streaming. So let's and there's a lot. Of, I mean, looking at Twitter, a lot of people care about it because they're trying mad, to watch, yeah. because they're trying. Yeah, they're trying to watch these games, and it's it sucks when when a stream that has been fairly um, fairly consistent in the years prior for the biggest event out of the the last four years starts failing on you and then you get 
And then you get Olympic trials coverage in the U.S. where they're taking commercial breaks in the middle of an end. I think that's I think that's a different problem, but um, well, it is, but yeah, still, so you, still have, wanna... you still have a lot of you still have a lot of people yeah. accessing that through Peacock versus NBC Sports Network. I mean, I was watching on NBC Sports Network, but um, a lot of people were watching that on Peacock. And what's worse is when you're watching it on a lineal on a linear channel. You're at least getting different um, commercials, but if you're watching it on Peacock, you're getting the same national commercial over and over and over again. Yeah, but my point, Ryan, is that there's actually a lot of curling on right now, so we don't have to do the pandemic uh, fill fill the podcast with curling adjacent content. So, so you're saying you- I should go back and edit a lot of that out? Ah, uh, I'll leave it to you. I, I want to personally get to the curling. So where do you want to go? Do you want to go U.S. trials, Euros, or Canada? Uh, let's start U.S. trials. All right. So we're recording this Sunday afternoon, mm-hmm. yep. evening my time. So we know one of the Olympic representatives. Mm-hmm. So it's Team Tabitha Peterson winning both their events in the best of three over... Uh, Team Christensen. Yeah, Team Christensen. So... Um, I did not get to see any of it. I got to watch the YouTube clips, a few highlights, and then the interviews. So I, I could tell you how the, the media scrums went in great detail, but how did you find the games? Uh, Tab was the best team all week. Um, it, was, it was pretty clear that them not winning the best of three would have been a huge upset about midway through the event. Uh, team Christensen played solid, but... Uh, no team was on the level of Team Peterson throughout the week. Um, the disappointing, I don't know about disappointing, but the the surprising result was Team Sinclair starting one and three, and then they they battled back to three and three, and then kind of the turning point for their week was they were playing um, one of the top, I guess they've aged out now, but one of the top junior teams, former junior teams in the U.S., uh, Delaney Strauss's team, and they struggled, but they were they were able to get to an extra end with hammer and had Team Strauss steal on them uh, in the extra end to put them at three and four, and that was kind of the the end of the line for Team Sinclair. But um, yeah, Team Peterson, uh, I I believe that they will rep- represent the U.S. well. They've been playing well for the last two and a half years now, and I all of them are going to have Olympic experience going in and. I'm, I'm going to have a lot of fun watching them. That's for sure. Yeah. And they've posted some really good results. Bronze at last year's Worlds. Um, they, how many spiels? They, they won one spiel this autumn, right? I believe so. And they've been playing. They've had a solid quad, right? Like just good results at slams. So yeah, they, they might be the... If you're kind of picking a US team to medal, that's probably... Because uh, the US hasn't qualified in mixed doubles yet. That's probably the more likely one, I'd say, of the three disciplines, right? I mean, we've got the defending the the defending gold champion on the men's side has not been eliminated yet. Not yet, but uh, he is. So he's going he's going to a the third and final deciding game. Yep, tonight yep. against the Young Bucks. That's right against a team the team led by Corey Dropkin. And I'll tell you what, man i I don't know if it's because I don't watch that team enough. But I don't remember seeing Corey Dropkin play with this much confidence before. Like 
and it doesn't matter who he's up against. He's playing, he's, he's playing very confident curling. You can see it on his face. You can see it when he interacts with his teammates. Um, his confidence level is through the roof. Um, and it's allowed him to play, I don't know, play a little bit freer. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I liked the aggressiveness that they showed in game two. They had a chance in, they, he had a shot in the sixth end that basically would have sent him to the Olympics. Yeah, hmm. it was a tough slash double. Um, he had you had two team Schuster stones that were the counters, and he had a tough slash double. But if he made it, he was going to get four, and that was going to be the end of the game. Um, he missed it to give up two, and I think he was playing a little bit aggressive there because he knew the the best of three format. Him winning game one, he kind of had. Sunday night in his back pocket where I can be aggressive and I can end this right here. But if I don't, it's not the end. I can come back tomorrow and, and try to seal this again. Yeah. That's not a bad gamble. You've got to shop for four, right? At that level, if you've got to shop for four, you almost have to take it. Right. And I think you'll see this a lot with elite teams. They, they, the scoreboard may look a lot worse than it is because they, they wait, for a moment in the game where they can take a shot like that. And they know at that level, you're getting one or two chances like that a game. Well, yeah. And then team Schuster took, took advantage of their opportunities later in the game. Cause I'll, I've watched team Schuster for 12 years now. And in every team Schuster game, there will be a chance where they can score a bundle and there will be a chance where they have the chance to have a bundle scored on them. And it's what happens in those two moments that kind of decide what happens in Team Schuster games. It's yeah. one of the reasons they're so fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, they, it's, that's how John's always played. That's how he's always going to play, right? <laughs> what do you think about either of these teams potentially as representatives of Team USA in Beijing? Uh, I think both will be good. Uh I mean, Corey Dropkins, he's basically been the, the the next one for this last cycle, right? Like, there, it's clearly USA Curling's kind of high-performance programs, kind of seen them as the team they've been developing. Was it, there was, for a while, USA Curling had something like Project 20, I'm not sure if it was 2022 or when it was, but they, they've been basically targeting... I, I want to say early early teens, the USA Curling basically had this vision like, look, it's going to take us two cycles to get to where we're seriously contending for medals internationally. And this was partly a message to the IOC, to the USOC, but also to the mm-hmm. members and saying, we're doing a lot of stuff now to build teams so that they're at that level. And to be honest, Dropkin and actually Corey Christensen on the, on the women's side, Team Peterson's also... But they're a bit more veteran. Like those are the teams that they've been kind of putting a lot of resources into to get them to that level. And it's starting to pay off. Now, there's a very experienced veteran team in their way. Yeah. Uh, I I mean, uh, I wake up tomorrow and if either team wins, I won't be surprised. But um, if I was going to place a bet, I'd probably put it on Schuster and the fact that they've played in a quali- – they've won qualification games before. Dropkins played in them, but he hasn't he hasn't won a qualification game like this before. And that, that I think does matter when it comes when the chips are on the table, right? Yeah, and they've they've shown that they're they're the future of USA curling and that that confidence. You can tell that this is like I don't know, this is this is the accumulation of them building up all that confidence, winning the tier two slam, playing as well as they have at nationals, 
and then to have the week they had here and then win game one against Schuster, um, that's kind of the the end result of building this for an entire an entire four years. So uh, it'll be interesting to see, and we will turn it over to future Ryan, who is going to record uh, Monday once we know the result of this game. And future Ryan is going to let us know uh, what happened Sunday night. So take it away, future Ryan. Hey, everybody, future Ryan here, just letting you know that John Schuster is going to represent the U.S. on the men's side at Beijing. They defeated Corey Dropkin Sunday night to win their best of three, two games to one in a game that I'll say there were a couple of times where the door was left open for Team Dropkin and they just couldn't take advantage of those opportunities. Other than that, Team Schuster kind of, you know, had command of the game, uh, and in the end, it was Team Schuster beating Team Dropkin, kind of a key in the sixth end, really weird end. The first shot from Dropkin's team was meant to be a center guard. It came kind of deep and wound up being a very close quasi-corner guard, and John chose to draw around it. You had a whole bunch of half shots after that, and the end result was Schuster getting his deuce to take a 3-1 lead after six couple of steals later, and it was pretty much game over there. Cool moment after the game, John Schuster basically you know, made sure that he had Corey's attention uh, for the post-game handshake and said that was the hardest that he's ever had to work against somebody. So a really cool moment. Um, I think the future of USA Curling is in good hands with Team Dropkin, but it will be John Schuster heading back to his fifth consecutive Olympics. Amazing. Thank you, future Ryan. Wow. I would not have guessed that outcome. So amazing. It was fun to watch. I'll tell you that. I hope I had fun in the future. (laughs) All right. Europe or Canada? Where do you want to go next, Ryan? Canada. Canada. All right. So very early days in the Canadian curling trials. A little bit of a narrative already building here, I think. Most of the narrative was the streaming not working. The streaming least, not working. Dates. <laughs> there was a lot of angry people on Twitter, which is surprising for that website. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm stunned that the bird site had angry people on it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so as, let's see. So early results. So I guess round one, kind of an early clash of, of favorites was Flurry versus Einerson and Flurry kind of closed the close, put the game away late, but it was kind of back and forth. I'd say, um, Jen Jones kind of came out of the gate pretty strong. It, they're two and oh, as we're kind of recording this with wins over McCarvel and team Harrison. Uh, Einerson got a bounce back win this afternoon, beating Scheidegger 10 to five. And I think the, so the big story I'd say, we were watching this right before we were recording was McCarvel downing team Homan and Homan is now at 0 and 2 with losses to Harrison and McCarvel. So they haven't, they haven't run the gauntlet yet of Flurry, Einerson and Jones, which is I think the tough part of the schedule. Um, Devin Hero just put up on Twitter that no team, I'm not sure if it's for both genders, but he says no team that started 0 and 2 at a trials has ever gone on to win. So is it panic time, Ryan? In Team Homan camp, maybe a little, because 
four losses, you're probably not playing in the playoffs. Four losses, you're toast. There's no way. Yeah. Yeah. Three losses. Three losses, you're probably at least in a tiebreaker. You're in the bubble there. Like so, mathematically, anything more than two losses, if three teams you qualify for the playoff, you could be eliminated, right? So the rule of thumb for for those who you know haven't done a lot of curling tournament math, basically, number of teams in the playoffs minus one is the number of losses you can afford to safely be in the playoffs to guarantee yourself something. I three losses is based off of what we've seen so far and the fact that Team Anderson already has a loss, it would not surprise me if you had a gaggle of teams at three losses at the end. Yeah. I So I guess the, there's two questions. So question one is, is Holman could totally just go 6-0 and now, right? It, it seemed to me watching that game, and this is a very classic Holman, Team Holman problem. They tend to lose early in the week. Scotty's also kind of they all, if they're going to lose you're going to get them early and if you're actually going to catch them in a mm-hmm. curling game you're going to catch them early once they're a bit of a Holman's always been kind of a front runner right like kind of get a lead in the game and then just put the team away mm-hmm. um not not necessarily the best kind of come from behind team like like I think Jones has always been better at like she could just kind of win from any position sort of thing um but once Holman gets going, they just kind of are notorious for just tearing through fields. It looked to me like they're struggling a bit with the ice, that their stones were running a bit straight. And there's kind of, hmm. you'll hear you'll hear on the broadcast, the Holman release. They just, they throw like a, a very poppy release. They kind of set it out a lot. And once they find that stone tracks really straight or floats back a bit, but once they find the spot on the stone where to put the home and release the ice, the home and release. That's when they kind of start. That's when you start seeing the doubles and the run backs and the triples all start to fall. So the question is, can they figure out where to ice the home and release uh, by game three? What are your thoughts? Well, they have, man, there is just, there's no hiding now. Honestly, they played team rock. They played Team Rock tonight, and then I hate to just list off a schedule because it's boring, but after Team Rock, it's Flurry, Walker, Jones, Anderson, Scheidegger. Like, there's no, I mean, it's the Olympic trials. There's no hiding anywhere. Like, yeah. they're going to drop, they're going to drop one more. And I, I do, I just, I think that you're going to have a gaggle of teams at five and three because of how kind of even this is. And you've got the team, the teams that we, that I thought were so, were, a ton better than the rest of the field. One of those teams has two losses and one of them has one already. Yeah. I think, I mean, to me, I think if I'm Einerson, I'm not worried about losing to Fleury, right? Like I, I would be, no. I, in their mindsets, probably we got to go two and one against Fleury, Jones and Holman and, and then run the field against everyone else. That's, that's probably, I mean, they're not going to say it to the media, but it's probably their thought process. Um, Holman's Holman's basically now got to run the table of those big four. The one little bit of breathing space. I think if Rock tonight, it, it's kind of a bit of a pressure game, but I don't know what their lifetime record is against Rock. I, I imagine it's pretty strong in favor of Team Holman. But that's if you if you're going to get a bounce back game, uh, now's the time to do it. Is against Rock to try and get your 
your kind of problem sorted out, if you will, because the next the next part of that schedule is just they're gonna know by the time they get to Shiding or if they got a shot or not, basically. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um I don't know. Any other surprises, really, from the early results? I mean, the uh, men's side, we got one draw, um, so I don't think there's anything to draw from that. But not really on the men's side. Not really in terms of results. Botcher lost, but it was to what? It was to Gushu, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Gushu had to score a three bagger in the last end. So, but really, the story on the men's side is uh, Team Dunstone having to make a very late uh, lineup change with Braden Muscawi not able to participate due to personal reasons he has been replaced with colton lott who we know from uh his mixed doubles play with kadriata uh um so that i mean and they've they've started zero and one obviously they'll get their their feet under them at some point but will it will it be enough to make the playoffs really tough to do having to make a very late uh lineup change like that before the biggest event of your life yeah, I I mean, I hate to say there's I I just think that's such a big change, especially at the third spot. That's I I hate to say they're done, but I'd be very surprised uh if they won it now. More surprised than Gushu winning in 06 or 05. Surprised. So, I don't want to say no chance cuz <laughs> that'll come back to bite me, but that that would be quite a feat to change your lineup like that at that moment against this field. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, the, the teams that are undefeated in terms of one and oh, it's Kui Gushu, Jacobs, McEwen, you know, I think McEwen's probably a, a slight step down from those other three, but those three are probably the three favorites along with Botcher going in. So not a huge surprise so far. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Hopefully the streams work. Uh, I'm working from home this week. It's a short week due to the American holiday. Um, so I'm working from home this week. So I'll actually be able to watch some curling and hopefully I'll be able to join uh, Sean and Scott from Game of Stones on their their Zoom stacking sessions that they're going to do every night at 6 p.m. I believe they're going to do it on their Facebook page, uh, but we'll We'll send that out on our social media accounts as well. But every every day at 6 p.m., there's one day that they're not doing it. I forget which day it is. It might be Monday. But yeah, every day at 6 p.m., Zoom stacking with the folks from Game of Stones for the Canadian Olympic trials. Yeah. So let's go to Europe. What do you think of Europe? We got some early results there too. And that's a, this is a little more surprising, I got to say. Um a few okay, so what's not surprising? The men's side Moet out to two and zero with and with some quality. Opened up with a win over Adina and looked actually pretty decisive there. Um, but then they're tied with Norway and Czech Republic, two teams that I had battling for relegation. So early days yet, but that's a kind of couple surprise results. At the bottom of the table is Switzerland at zero and two, Sweden at one and one. Um, I'm trying to think any other, and then kind of a, a log jam of like Finland, Germany, Italy, Denmark at 0 2 also. Anything stand out with early results there? Uh, really just the surprises, the Swiss, the Swiss men at 0 2. It's so early on that, you know, you can't really be surprised at any result when every team's only played two games. But if there was a surprise there, it's Switzerland at 0 2. They lost to Norway on day one. 
um, and they lost to the Czech Republic on day two. Again, two teams that we kind of thought were going to be toward the bottom of the pack. So they still have some tough games ahead of them. Yeah. So, I mean, again, it's a long week. Um, their playoff format, four out of 10 make the playoffs a little more forgiving than the Canadian trials format. So I would not be panicking yet, but, um, plus the event that team cares about is in February. Yeah, exactly. I, I kind of said, I said this on the, the crossover pod with, um, uh, with Sean that this to me strikes me as a trap tournament for a lot of the European teams. Like if you've already punched your ticket to the Olympics as Switzerland, Scotland and Sweden have, it might be a little harder to get, get motivated for, for this event that, that aside from a, a world qualification, not much hinges on this. Women's curling a bit of a surprise too. So um, Sweden is at one and two. So they beat the Czech Republic round one. They then lost uh, to Scotland. And then they it, lost to Russia. Um, Russia. Yep. In an Russia, Yeah. That was fun, too. That was uh, the recast cutaway as as that game was going to the extra. So that was fun. Everyone's everyone's having a great weekend in stream in streamland for <laughs> So I don't know. I I don't. I wouldn't be super panicked there either. I think that if there's any early story, it's how strong Team Muirhead's playing. That's like awesome, Scotland. isn't it? Yeah. It's so, like, and Sean said said this um on our on our crossover pod with them. But like, it's so much fun when Eve Muirhead is in fu mode, as he yeah. said, as he called it. <laughs> uh, and early results are she's doing that. So it's it is super fun to watch. Yeah, so that's that. That makes it interesting, I think, because you know they've they've kind of not had the best quad. They've done a lineup change again, so it's and it was an experiment, right, to see if this kind of nine person selected down to five would work. But early results look good at the Euros. What can you tell us about the B pool? I see the the English men are two and zero, and the English women are three and zero. So Team England, a combined five and zero in the B pool. What do you think of that? That's pretty good. Who have they played? I don't know. It's the B pool, man. I'm just... <laughs> I didn't see that the women no had won knows. their third game. Um, it's tough to get the results up from this. I think, I mean, I, honestly, I think Russia on the men's side is going to roll through. It's just a higher level. Uh, but I also, as I said in the in the uh, crossover pod, a lot of the teams that are representing their countries there are uh, not the not the normal teams that represent the countries. So that well, and one of the reasons for that, and that kind of bleeds into the last thing I wanted to talk about, is you have a decent number of the skips that I recognize from previous B pool and even um, European A pool events scheduled to participate in the mixed doubles competition at the Olympic qualifier, which begins on December 5th. So I've, and that includes uh, with Estonia, Marie Kaldvi, formerly Marie Turman. She is not skipping the Estonian team in the A pool. It's her sister, Lisa skipping that team. And it's because Marie is playing starting 
December 5th for a spot in the mixed doubles competition at the Olympics. Yeah. So, so I think that's a bit of that. that. Yeah. It's kind of a weird year because, and also maybe countries can't do both. They can't do both the, um, you know, they can't do both this event plus the Olympic qualification event. And so maybe countries that have an Olympic qualification event spot, maybe they're putting their energy into that rather than this. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of like factors like that at play too. Um, I, I mean, on the men, England, because they're coming down from the A's, they have the one seed. And so they're like, they, like they're, they've got a, a pool that they could, I think they, I, wanna, I hate the word should, but I think most of the games they'd be favored against. The one that's interesting is Wales because they've, what's changed for Wales is they used to play on an arena in Wales. And actually now most of that team lives close to uh, the Flower Bowl in Preston. So they've been oh, getting cool. a lot more ice time. Every time I've been up there, they've been practicing. So their, their ice time has improved a lot. Um, other side, I think Russia will roll through that side. I just, it's like, it's a different level. And, and the other, so, the other good team there is Spain. Spain is very solid too. So I think they'll, I think I give I probably Russia, Spain, England, Wales, eh, me, I could see Turkey doing some damage, but some of the other countries I wouldn't really, uh, don't want to name them, but I'd say probably not. Uh, so that's, that's my analysis midweek. Um, I don't know. Oh, the uh, women's side. Uh, yeah, women's I side. Mean, England, England's three and zero. Norway's three and zero. Norway. Uh, that team includes uh, Marian Rorvik, who throws third stones, but is the skip. And throwing fourth stones is Kristen Skaslian, who you know from her mixed doubles partnership with Magnus Nedrogolten. They were at the Olympics four years ago, and I believe they have already. Yeah, they have already booked their spot. I believe for the twenty twenty two Olympics. Yeah. So, and so if I look at that pool also, I, I remember saying I was going through the rosters and I was like, I hadn't heard of anyone on the Finland roster. Finland's normally a top of the table team. They're 0-3 now. I haven't heard of any of the players. So it's a new team there that's normally contending for a spot. Norway, I think, would probably have to be the favorite. Hungary, it's lineup slightly kind of away from its normal women's lineup. A few new players in there. So th- that they might have a bit of uh they might not be as strong as they normally are. Um, so, I mean, I think Norway's the favorite. England's got an experienced team, although they haven't had much competition this year. So, but I, I suspect that's the case for most of the B pool teams. There's actually not many spiels out there in Europe these days. So yeah. And the, the Finnish women's team usually skipped by Una Kausta. She is playing in the mixed doubles event at the Olympic qualifier with her brother, Aku Kausta. Uh, and again, that event starts December 5th in the Netherlands and the Kaustas are in the same pool as the U S the U S really in kind of the group of death there. If you look at these teams, um, and that'll be Vicky Persinger and Chris Plies trying to book their spot at the Olympics uh, on the mixed double spot side, but they are in a group that includes the Kaustas from Finland, the previously mentioned Marie Kaldvi and Harry Lil from Estonia, as well as the teams from Japan and Korea. The Japanese team is Matsumura uh, Shiaki and Tanita uh, Yasumasa from two of the top 
four-person teams in Japan. And on the South Korean team, you have Kim Min-ji uh, on that team with uh, Lee Kai-jong. Uh, again, two very good players from some of the top teams in that country. Jonathan, you've talked about how mixed doubles has kind of gone towards shot makers. And in the case of both Japan and Korea, you've got some really good shot makers on those teams uh, in the same group as the U.S. with Persinger and Plies. Yeah, I think for the moment, that's the model. I I think there's a big debate about what's going to happen to it because right now you've got basically shot makers dropping in for the world's and Olympic events and not playing much on the mixed doubles tour, but you also have some specialist mixed doubles teams. And so I, I wonder, I, I just, there's just only so many, you know, so many events someone can play in in a season. So I wonder if at some point the, the mixed doubles specialists rise up, but it, it's not happening yet. I think it's more you'll see the four-person teams become five-person teams. Yeah, I, mean, so I was listening to something. I think it was – I can't remember which podcast it was. It might be uh, Inside – it probably is Inside Chronics. It was Jen Jones. Uh, she doesn't She doesn't grace our podcast very often. But she was being interviewed, and she basically said, yes, she thought five-person – because our team's a five-person team. And she said five-person was probably the future partly because most of her team also has mixed doubles ambitions. Mm and need to play mixed doubles events. And, you know, I could, I could see that happening too. Especially that, with that, the funded teams where you've got, you know, one professional team in a country that is also going to supply you with the players for the mixed doubles side. Yeah. So that's one way that it could happen, right? They, they, and so maybe that's the next round of consolidation is you were talking about how like a lot of teams now are just consolidated. There may be three teams collapsed into one or like Einerson was four skips collapsed into a super team. Maybe the next thing is, you know, J- team Jen Jones is again a trendsetter. And then you've got a lot of these super teams getting a fifth player of high quality when, when some of the teams break up after the trials in Canada. Yeah. So for the Olympic qualifier, you've got 14 mixed doubles teams battling for only two spots at the Olympics on both the, when the men and the women get underway later in the week, I believe on December 10th. And we'll talk about those two events on a later show. Um, they have three spots up for grabs, but for the mixed doubles, you're only playing for two spots. I believe. So you've got two groups of seven. I believe you have to be in the top three to make the playoffs. I have not seen the actual, um, format of the playoffs for this event published anywhere, but I believe you have to be in the top three in your group. So it's going to be tough for the U S with Korea, Japan, Estonia, and Finland in that group. Those are all really solid teams. The other group, it's a little bit easier, um, led by Russia with, uh, two names that are familiar. If you're an international curling fan, Anna Sudorova and Alexei Timofeev, they've skipped top Russian teams in the past and they're playing together to get Russia into the Olympics, but they're in a group with, uh, one of my kind of favorite teams and they've been, they've been out on tour lately. They were able to, they were able to get away from their country, which, uh, is kind of tough to do these days in Australia. They have pretty strict quarantine guidelines, uh, for leaving and returning to that country. But Tolly Gill and Dean Hewitt have been playing very well on the mixed doubles tour. They've been getting a lot of games in leading up to this event. 
So interested to see how they perform. Uh, the two favorites for this whole event are probably going to be the USA and Russia. But I mean, it would be really cool if a if a team like Estonia or Australia got into the Olympics because I think both of those countries are are ready to kind of embrace a a team in the Olympics. So it'd be cool if one of them made it. Yeah, I, a mixed doubles is a, a wacky enough format that there's a lot more upsets in it. Um, so that makes it possible. And B, like th- this, the pandemic's just thrown a wrench into the normal team preparation. Mm-hmm. So uh, that might give a that might give an Australia uh, a bit more of a chance than they normally would have going into to an event like this. And it, it's good to hear they've been playing the tour in North. Is it North America they've been playing? Or I think they've been all over the place. I think they've been mostly in North America. I think they've been in Europe too. Um, but yeah, they've been. I've I've seen on Instagram that they've been playing a lot and they've been doing really well. That's really good to see. So hopefully, hopefully it works out for them. Oh. All right, Ryan. Anything else? I still haven't thrown a rock since March of 2020. Wow, and I was feeling bad about how little curling I was getting in, and I still managed to. I'm, I'm going curling in two weekends again up in yeah. Sterling. Know, hopefully, think- hopefully you'll hopefully I'll get to do something. All right. I might actually get to curl on the NCA ice. I'll let you know if that happens. Oh, that would be, that would be fun. Well, we're, we're doing, so this is Hammy McMillan from Team Moets yep. organizing a bond spiel called the British Open. And he's clearly not to, not to rant about Scottish bond spiels because I've done that enough, but he's clearly one of the advantages of him playing on tour in Canada is he's kind of imported my preferred format, the triple knockout as the format nice. for this event modified triple knockout four game guarantee um you know and, and uh it looks fantastic actually i'm kind of excited to go well, play in it make yourself useful and get some interviews uh i will not, try. not not even with like the scottish the the players that are in the the british program like with you know people who are trying to grow the game there all right, I'll I'll see what I can round up. And if anyone from Scotland's listening and they they got a story for us, um, drop us a line, or drop me a line, or bump into me at Sterling. That's yeah, that'd be good too. Find Jonathan. Find Jonathan in Sterling. You'll be able to tell yeah. by the beard. Um, and make yeah. him make him interview you. Make him make himself useful while he's while he's in Sterling. Yeah, that'll be a great interview. Uh, <laughs> all right, so I guess that's it for now. Yeah. Yeah. I got a lot of I got a lot of curling to try to stream. All right. So Ryan will go play around with more streaming apps so you can spend half an hour next week ranting about streaming to you. This and, is now uh, a streaming podcast. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening to Rocks Across the Pond, a curling podcast. If you enjoyed this show, we ask you to please leave a review or tell a friend about us. Your referrals to friends and family are the greatest compliment we can receive and is what allows our show to grow and share our love of this great game. You can find all of our past shows and blog posts at rocksacrossthepond.com. If you have a question or comment, you can reach us at rocksacrossthepond at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to us, and we will talk to you again real soon.